share something with you guys. After having three lockdowns, almost running out of toilet paper, a hundred brief meetings from Boris, tired of tears, using to eat out to help out for kingdom dates, not knowing who to meet and not to meet, confusion whether to stay home or not stay home, at Black Lives Matter protest, Jay Basil becoming a billionaire, forgetting to wash a face mask, okay? Uh, prayer being the most searched word on Google, four COVID-19 variants later, over 200 pounds spent on Zoom memberships, and one Euro finals later, the United Kingdom finally announced on the 19th of July, 2021, all the rules have been lifted. It was declared as Freedom Day. You know, Gavin Southgate gave an announcement saying he, he urged all the young people to get their vaccine so they can celebrate their freedom. And I was like, why only young people? Because you know, you know how young people are, guys. Young people, you know, they, they, they think this. For some weird reason, we think we're immune. We, we think, you know, we're invincible, we're indestructible. You know, uh, young people, it, it's kind of tough to get young people unified. Because young people like being wild, young, wild, and free. But what I love is in the kingdom of God, we got young people who love God. Who are willing to give up their own freedom to serve Christ. That's why I love what Carmen shared today. A young individual who, who shared powerfully for the cross right there. You know, when I think about Freedom Day, I think about Freedom Day in South Africa. It is celebrated on the 24th of April. It's a celebration of basically what happened years ago because there was a time where in South Africa, uh, only one particular race could vote for the president. But on this day, it's a, it's a commemoration and celebration of non-racial uh, and uh, democratic elections, basically. It marks the end of 300 years of colonialism, segregation, and white minority rule. And in a sense, you're like, wow. And of course, what happened later on down the line is Nelson Mandela becomes the president after spending 27 years in prison. And of course, he calls that years in prison the long walk to freedom. Yeah. Teaching that, you know, freedom comes at a price. Yes. But we, we know that the greatest walk you can ever have that gives freedom is your walk with God. Yeah. Your walk with God. You know, there, there, there are a lot of walks out there. You got the walk of shame. Oh, no. The walk of shame. You know the walk of shame when you go bowling and then you, you bowl, you miss, and you got to go back because you did pretty bad. The walk of shame. The walk of shame after having that one night stand and you got to leave the house because you don't belong there. The walk of shame. Got to take your clothes and leave. The walk of shame. You know, we've got the crip walk, you know? You know the, don't do that walk, guys, okay? You'll get you killed right there, okay? That, that's a bad walk. You don't want to do the crip walk, okay? And then we've got jaywalking as well. You know, jaywalking is you being disobedient to the government right there. But I hope the J turns to Jesus and you walk with Jesus today, amen? You know, countries around the world celebrate freedom. And they call this day, in a sense, Independence Day. You know, what, what, what kind of, what, what are they celebrating really and truly? They're celebrating them being free from the tyrant or any kind of leadership above them. And believe it or not, there are about 60, over 60 countries that Britain ruled that many countries today are celebrating their independence from Britain. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting how all these nations are godly. And I'm like, wow, a lot of these nations celebrate their independence from Britain and a lot of them are quite godly. And I was like, wow, it teaches us something. Britain likes control. 
Britain likes control. Britain doesn't like to submit. That's why they say they want their independence to come out of the European Union and they call it a Brexit. They don't like control. You know, one of the reasons why people don't want to become Christians today is because of control. That's one of the reasons. They don't want to submit that there's a higher power in their life. They know that if they believe in God, they have to give up their control. They know it. So what they do is they say, you know what? Now you understand something. The Bible says there are no atheists. Believe it or not. I know you guys don't believe me. Romans chapter 1. There are no atheists. What it is is that you love sin more than God. So what happens is that you want to find any kind of teaching out there that's supposed to believe so you can sin comfortably. That's basically what it is. So in a sense, because you, once you believe in God, then you have no choice but to submit to him and you have to listen to his rules. <laughs> and we know one individual who did that a long time ago, Satan. And he lost his place in heaven. You lose your place in heaven because of one reason. You don't want to submit to God and his word. Submission to God and his word allows you a place in heaven. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, guys. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The title lesson is Freedom Day. Freedom Day. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I hope you guys are with me today. If something, the lesson hits you, you can say, ouch. You can say hallelujah. It's not hallelujah. hallelujah is not Pentecostal, guys. It's biblical. It means praise the Lord. Okay, so don't think, yeah, it means praise the Lord. Okay, if something impacts you, you can say ouch, hallelujah, amen, right there, okay? Second Corinthians chapter 6, guys. You guys there? In verse 1, it says this: As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. And I love the scripture. This says that we are God's co-workers. This says that we work with God. Not that God works with us. This changed my whole Christianity this week. Believe it or not, this week I was struggling. Um, And, you know, I I had a a pretty challenging week. And, you know, uh, what's interesting is that, you know, uh, during this time, of course, during the week, what happened was that, you know, there's a park close to me. I have a couple of parks around my area, okay? Uh, but there's one in particular that I, I've been delaying going to to pray for a while, and that's the reservoir. And in some way, I, I was like, hey, because I was doing bad that week, you know, uh, I was very emotional. Believe it or not, yes, I was very emotional. Um, and I had a very emotional week, and I said, okay, you know what? I, I need to go to this park today. I, I just have to go. I feel like if I go today, that's where I, I'm just going to connect to God, Okay. So I decide, okay, I repent and I go to this park. So as I go to this park, of course, I'm praying, I'm angry, I'm praying to the Lord, I'm just like, woe is me, I'm like, God, you know, I'm praying about a lot of things, like, hey, you know, God, I didn't, I didn't have a father growing up, I'm like, God, where's my wife, I'm like, God, all these different things, amen? Um, I'm being real, guys, I'm being honest, I'm a human, guys, okay? And, and I, I'm praying, of course, I'm praying, and guess what? Out of all days and times I go to this park, I see a guy I studied about with about seven months ago. Wow. Out of all days and times. So I get there, of course, and you know, uh, this guy doesn't know that I'm there to pray, right? So I'm sitting down on the bench and I'm praying. He's doing his laps. He's running around, running around. And it's like, okay, he sees me, of course. I'm coming back. I got like two, three more laps. I'm like, amen, dude, it's all good. I'm praying. Don't worry about that. 
So he runs around, he runs around, then eventually he comes to the end of his, uh, his laps, right? And he sits down next to me, right? Now, of course, I wasn't done my prayer. I, I surrendered. I was like, amen. So we have a talk. We go back and forth and stuff like that. And he's like, you know what, dude? Honestly, I'm going to come to your church this Sunday. And I was like, oh, okay, it's pretty cool. I, I, didn't, even, I didn't even talk about church, right? And Esau's at church today right there, amen? Say hi to him right there in the fellowship. It's interesting. Why do I share the story? Out of every single person I shared with this week to come to church, he's the only one who came. The one I didn't share my faith with. When I decided to say, you know what, God, let me work with you. And I realized something. Because I had to learn surrender this week. I had a whole bunch of plans. I was like, okay, we're going to meet over here for Sunday service. We're going to do this. We're going to have that. All this different stuff. And now, now that stuff happened. And I was like, okay, I had to surrender. And I realized, I'm like, wow, I've been in the wrong workplace. I've been in the wrong workplace. I'm working a job, and I'm like, God, work with me. God's like, no, dude, this is the job over here. you got to come work with me, right? So we, God is, we are God's co-worker right there. You know, and, and the question I have for you is, do you, could you be in the wrong workplace today? Could you be in the wrong workplace? You, you work in a job. Now, this is figuratively speaking, okay? You work in a job, and you want God to work with you, but you're not working with God. Because the word co-worker over here is the Greek word synergio, right? Uh, it's where we get synergy. What is synergy, you ask? Synergy is simply the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. So the reason why I wasn't seeing the results that I wanted is because I was working on my own. That's why I was, I was like, man. And I had to learn how to surrender and work with God and join his workplace. It says over here that we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. You know, like, how how does one receive God's grace in vain? You know, Paul, of course, he shares earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, by the grace of God, I worked harder than all the other apostles. We can receive God's grace in vain when we don't work hard. When God has given you the amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you. It saves you. And because of the grace of God, you work hard and you want to save others. Yes. And you can have the grace of God in vain when all you want to do is just stay saved. Mm. And you don't want to save others. That's not what we had to do over here. God has a job and we have to work with him. God's job, we have to work with him. You know, some people say, hey, the Bible is a book written by man. I say, okay, then why does it go against every single man's desires? Why does it go against every single man's desires? It cannot be written by man. The word of God is from God. Amen? Amen. Let's read verse 2, guys, okay? You guys with me? It says in verse 2, For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. This is taken from Isaiah 49, verse 8. He says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And the church says, point number one, Freedom Day has no delay. Freedom Day has no delay. You know, Boris Johnson may delay Freedom Day, but God is not. He is not going to delay Freedom Day. You know, the Bible says, when's the best time to get saved? Now. Now is the best time to get saved. We live in a time of instant. Instant message. Instant pizza. 
instant noodles, instant downloads, instant TV shows, instant, instant everything. Everything is just instant nowadays. You know, yeah, instant relationships, there we go. You don't, you don't, you don't want to put the emotional effort and work in trying to build a couple of relationships with people to find the one right there. You just want to go and swipe up and down. And no, 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 no. We want instant relationships nowadays. Everything is just instant, instant, instant. But when it comes to God, oh, slow down, God. God, oh, let's hold on, hold on now. Hold on now. Do you know when God's, the time when God wants instant is when it's your repentance and your salvation. That's when God wants instant. He's like, I want you to instantly repent. I want you to instantly get saved. We don't want to be like St. Augustine. What did he say before his conversion? He said, Lord, make me celibate, but not yet. <laughs> Before he got converted, that's what he prayed. It's like, make me celibate, but not yet. <laughs> and a lot of us can be like, like that with God today. God, I want to get close to you. Okay, get rid of your weed. Uh, not yet. God, I want to get close to you. Well, break up with the, your boyfriend. Uh, not yet. God, I want to get close to you. Well, give up the job. Well, not yet. God, I want to get close to you. Fill in the blank. Not yet. We can be the same with God nowadays. When God is telling us that we got to get saved right now, but man, we take our time. I want to pursue you that there's a danger in delaying. You ask, what's the danger? When you say no to God once, it's easy to say no again. And what happens is that sin calluses your heart. It makes your heart hard, okay? Now, what happens is that for God to work in your life, he's going to have to have, uh, uh, he's going to have to apply harder force. Yes. That's what happens. Because you keep saying no over and over and over, your heart gets hard, and for him to penetrate that heart, that heart he's going to like do something really hard to you. An example is the, the, the plagues in Exodus. It says, Pharaoh had a hard heart. It took him about 10 plagues to finally, okay, 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 you're the one God, Amen. Ten plagues. And of course, the last one was his son dying. You know, you don't want death to finally happen for you to finally say, you know what, let me see God in my life. That's a danger in delaying. There's a danger in delaying. You know, you don't want to miss out on the gospel, guys. You don't want to miss out on the gospel. You ask yourself, what is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. It means good news. But I can tell you what gospel is not. It's not the next Kirk Franklin song. That's what it is. That's not what gospel is. Gospel is not you coming to Sunday service, feeling good, and going back home. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not it. Gospel, of course, over here, in, in the, uh, the word good news, it actually comes from a, a war term, okay? Believe it or not. It was used as well in war. What would happen was that everyone will stay in, in the city, uh, individuals will go out and fight in war, and the person who comes back, he's called, uh, you know, uh, an evangelist in a sense. <laughs> he brings good news. And it's good news because you stayed at home and everyone else fought the battle for you. So it's good news that you guys won and you had the victory. That's the gospel. What does that mean? A lot of religions tell you how to get to heaven. They tell you, do. Jesus says, it is done. Every religion tells you you gotta do, Jesus says, I've done it. I've done it. Faith will tell you that, hey, for you to go to heaven, you gotta do a lot of good deeds, and then you know they're gonna outweigh your bad deeds. Then you're gonna go to heaven. 
But Christ's like, don't worry, bro. I, I, I died on the cross for you. All you got to do is be obedient, get baptized, get your sins forgiven, and you're saved. He's done the work for you. That is the gospel. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Now, we, we live in a time of instant nowadays. You know, growing up, you know, I, I grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa, of course, and, you know, um, you know I, I, had a, uh, I have a grandmother who, uh, who loved everything instant. So uh, growing up, of course, I used to watch free TV because I was broke. I didn't have money to afford great TV. So we had like an, uh, an hour of ads, basically. And during this time, you know, there was this, this ad that would always show up every single time. This product called Raymark, okay? And they had all these uh, innovative ways of how to lose, you know, to get, to get in shape, basically. And my grandmother loved these things, right? And she was so heavily involved and invested in all these things, right? She, she, would, buy, uh, she would buy the belt, right? You know, so she'd buy the belt and stuff like that, right? And, you know, uh, they claim that this belt uh, somehow just zaps all the fat out of your body. I was like, okay. So my, mom, my grandma invested in that. Um, you know, she invested in the pills. Uh, she invested in the dumbbell. There was a dumbbell that you do nothing. It just shakes, and then you just get ripped. I'm like, man. I'm like, this is cranking. And, you know, my grandmother would do everything. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, Grandma, just repent, please. Just, just yeah. repent and, and just, just, just eat well. Okay, Grandma? Eat well. And that's how we are today nowadays. In, in our instant generation. We're willing to do, we will do anything to get instant results besides repentance. Yeah. Besides repentance. Now, what we're going to see here in Luke 9 are some signs that you need to have freedom. Signs that... You're not saved. Signs that you need to be free today. Luke chapter 9. You guys with me? Luke chapter 9. We see something here. In verse 26. It says. Uh oh. (laughs) Okay, it's not Luke chapter 9. Uh, it's Luke chapter 8. There we go. It's Luke chapter 8. It says in verse 26, it says, They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in the house, but had lived in tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't torture me. <laughs> Here we see an individual who is called demon-possessed. We're going to look at the other accounts over here. And other accounts says he has what is called an impure spirit. The first thing we see over here is someone who's got an impure spirit is nudity. That's the first thing we see. It says over here, he not one clothes. And I was like, wow, you know, this really changed a lot of things for me this week. I was like, okay, instead of looking at that woman lustfully who's exposing herself, little does she know she's got an impure spirit that's making her want to be nude. It's an impure spirit that makes us want to be nude. You know, and I was like, wow, it it just changed everything for me. 
instead of looking at the, a woman lustfully, she just has an impure spirit and she doesn't know it. Trying to find validation, security, attention. Little does she know that Jesus Christ validated her on the day she, she was born. And the only validation she needs, the only man, validation of a man that she needs is from God. That is it. Only she, she needs from Jesus. And we see over here that nudity or, in a sense, sexual immorality is it, quite prevalent today. It's quite prevalent today. You know, there's a phrase, in a sense, uh, it says, if you're not selling anything, don't advertise anything. You know, for those of for the women, you know, how's the Instagram looking? How's the Instagram looking? Would Jesus like your Instagram or report it? Yeah. Or would he do? Yeah. Would he like it? Yeah. Or would he report your Instagram? Yeah. Would he report your Instagram? That's good. We see over here the first sign that someone needs to be free is a life of nudity and sexual immorality in a sense. Not caring about covering themselves. It says over here in verse 28, when he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting and told his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was changed hand and foot, kept him under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Over here we see, it says, he was begging on the top of his voice. So he was like shouting. In a sense, he didn't want to get judged by God. He was afraid of God's judgment. We see a demon afraid of God's judgment. How much more should we? How much more should we be afraid of Jesus judging us? Luke chapter 9. Let's go to another one, guys. Let's go to Matthew over here. Or Mark, rather. Mark 5. Mark chapter 5. Give you guys some practicals on... The reasons why we got to be free. The first one we see over here is simply a lack of modesty or purity or sexual immorality. That's the first one. In Mark 5, read again verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got off the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Here we see a few things. We're going to study out this very deeply today. We see a few things over here. This guy is abnormal. He is not normal. Other translations, rather, we see in other accounts, it says sometimes the, the, the demon would uh, possess him and, and convulse him. It's interesting that we see what an impure spirit does to you. You see, I grew up in a church where a preacher will lay his hands on you and claim to be the Holy Spirit, and you're just convulsing and rolling down the floor. You see, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of an impure spirit. An impure spirit is what makes you do abnormal things in a weird way. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. It doesn't do that. We think Satan doesn't come to church. He does. He comes to church. You read Job chapter 1. It says Satan came, presented himself to God with the sons of God. That's not angels. Angels are not called the sons of God in the Bible. Who are the sons of God? Those who come to worship. So when we come to worship God, guess who's there? Satan. 
He's coming to worship with you. So Satan goes to church, guys. He goes to church. So just because we see all these weird things happening in churches, we that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of an impure spirit. That's the work of an impure spirit. Okay, we look at look at this, verse 3. This man lived in tombs. Okay, another sign we see over here. Tombs, death. And other accounts we read in, in Luke, it said he lived for a long time in this period. So this guy was living around dead people. And you ask yourself, okay, what was he doing around dead people? I believe he was worshipping dead people. That's what I personally believe. You can't be around some dead things for a long period without worshipping them. So another sign of you, in a sense, needing freedom is the worship of dead people. The worship of ancestors. And believe it or not, there's a Christian faith that teaches this. The worship of saints. Those who have died. It's called the Catholic faith. That's sign number two. You need freedom. You worship the dead. Sign number four. We look at this. It says over here, verse three. He lived in tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been often chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. This is awesome. It says two things over here. He was tied up, hand and feet. Another thing was that he was too strong for anyone to subdue him. The two times in the Bible where this is referenced is in Matthew chapter 12. Let's go to Matthew 12. Let's see this. Let's see what Matthew 12 says. Matthew 12, 29, it says this. Matthew 12, 29. Oh, again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possession unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. So that demon-possessed man, it says no one was strong enough to subdue him. Jesus says the only way we can overcome Satan is by, in a sense, tying up the strong man. That side, they tried to tie to, they tried to tie him up, but no one could do it. Interesting. Matthew 22. Okay. Matthew 22. Matthew 22. The other time where hands being tied and feet being tied is mentioned. Matthew 22, we read in verse 11. It says this. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where the weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited, but few are chosen. The tying up of hands and, and, and feet is a judgment of God where an individual is thrown into the darkness. We see two things that only God can do that the people were trying to do. They tried to bind him hand and feet, they tried to subdue him, and they couldn't do it. You can't free yourself. That's the point. You need Jesus to free you. Freedom only comes through Christ. He is the Redeemer. He is the only one who can set you free. So the people were blaming God. That's what they were doing. That's not the sign. You need freedom. You blame God in your life. You think you can free yourself. Let's go back to Mark chapter 5. 
You guys with me? You're playing God. You think you can save yourself. In Mark 5, it says over here in verse 5. Night and day, among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Night and day, this individual is awake. Restlessness. Insomnia. He, in a sense, he has no peace in his life. Another sign that you need to be free is that you have no peace in your life. You're restless. You can't sleep. The Bible says this in Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Which is where we get the catchphrase, there's no rest for the wicked. In Isaiah 48, 22, Isaiah 57, sorry, verse 20, he says, but the wicked are like tossing in the sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. Peace only comes from God. And when you are restless in your life, there's no peace in your life, that's a very clear indication that you need to be free. It's a very clear indication that you've not been set free. What's the last one? What's the fifth one? Right? The fifth one is, it says he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Over here we see something, self-harm. Now, of course, you know, you've, you've, sadly, you know, you, you, you can't have individuals who struggle with the mental health in this area, but not everyone who does self-harm struggles with that. Here we see an individual, you got to understand something, in the Old Testament, one of the ways of worshipping Baal was that you would, you'd, you'd cut yourself. Yeah. Baal worship required you to cut yourself, slash yourself. You read that in, in, uh, in First Kings, Second Kings, rather, yeah. where Elijah called the people, hey, stop waving between two opinions. Slashing yourself was a sign of worshipping Baal. And sadly, some churches, I hate the fact that I got to, in a sense, hit this church again. But yeah, churches teach nowadays, as a sign of repentance, you got to slash yourself. Called penance. penance yeah. Which is the Catholic faith again. But cutting yourself. Self-harm. Hurting your body. A sign that you need to be free is that you have addictions in your life. Drugs and alcohol. You're hurting yourself. You're harming yourself. We see five signs over here of someone who needs to be free. The first one is sexual immorality and impurity. You worship the dead or believe in ancestors. Third sign is you want to play God and you think you can save yourself. Fourth sign, you think you have no peace in your life. And the fifth sign is self-harm through addictions. Is this you today? Does any of these signs describe you today? You know, when I heard a sermon like this seven years ago, I, for a long period of time, when I studied the Bible, I would run away quite often. And I made every single excuse under the sun. You ask, what kind of excuse did I make? I got to buy groceries. That was one of my excuses. <laughs> I'm, I'm being dead serious. That was my, what I told the brothers, I can't, I can't, I can't do a Bible study. I got to go buy some groceries. Other one is I, I had to go to the gym. That was another one. Another one is bad weather. I'm being serious. I had terrible excuses not to study the Bible. But then I heard a sermon like this, and right afterwards I said, man, I, I, I have to repent. The brother sat down with me, and they asked me, hey, how was the sermon? How did you find the lesson? And, you know, I was trying to find a church that could be genuine and honest, because I was a man who was heavily addicted to porn and masturbation every single day. I was a man who hated my father because I was abandoned at the age of five. 
I was a man who was sexually abused at the age of five by a close family friend. I was a man who did homosexual acts at the age of 10 to 12. I, I had all these things in my life and I went to different churches and not a single person was able to relate with me or be open with me. And when I, when I, when I came to the church service and I heard a lesson like this, I sat down and the brothers looked at me and guess what I did? I cried. I cried because I was sick and tired of running. I was sick and tired of not being set free from my, my sins. And I confessed everything to the brothers. And at that moment, I, I, I believe God worked powerfully in my heart. And I studied the Bible every single day diligently and I got baptized September 28, 2014 in the kingdom of God. We are a church that's very open. We are a church that understands that there's this freedom in being open about your sins. I've gone through a lot of churches. People don't talk about sin in church. They don't at all. The preacher's too perfect for you to approach, or even talk to, or even relate to. The people in the church are too perfect for you to relate to and bond with. I want to let you know, we're all messed up over here. We're all messed up, and we all need Jesus. I encourage you, let today be the day of salvation for you, for those who are visiting. Do not delay. Do not delay. Freedom Day has no delay. And we've got to be urgent when it comes to the call of God. The area where God wants instantaneously is when it comes to repentance and your salvation. I encourage you, get into a Bible study with us. We're willing to help you set free from your sins. Amen? Amen. Okay, Mark chapter 5. You guys are with me right there. Amen? Freedom Day. Point number two, the only good Christian is a dead one. The only good Christian is a dead one. Who wants to be a good Christian? Show of hands. Show of hands, okay? Okay, there we go. Okay, there we go. Okay. Beatrice was like, oh boy. We're going to learn areas where we're going to die to ourselves. Which demons do very well. Okay? What do we see over here? What do demons do? In verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him. Demons believe in worship. You don't go down on your knees on someone unless you have reverence or, or worship. You know, it bothers me when someone says they're a Christian and they don't read their Bibles or pray or worship God. It bothers me a lot. If you are a Christian today, if you, if you call yourself a Christian today and you don't read your Bible or pray or worship God, demons are more spiritual than you. They're just more spiritual than you. That's just the fact. They're more spiritual than you. So we've got to, if, if this is you, die to yourself. If you want to be a good Christian today, die to yourself and worship God. Worship God. Let's keep on reading over here. It says in verse 9. Right? Of course, in verses 6 to 8, he says, what do you want with me? Don't torture me. Right? You know, it just, just shows that demons need, they need a vessel. They need something to possess. You see, a human body need, it needs, it needs, it needs possession. A human body, you either have a pure spirit or an impure spirit. 
You either have Holy Spirit or impure spirit. That's it. You look at in the Bible, the moment the Holy Spirit of God left Saul, what does it say? An impure spirit entered him. So you either have the Holy Spirit today or an impure spirit. That's it. Now, it says in verse 9, Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Demons believe in prayer. They believe in persistence. They push. They pray until something happens. That's something we can learn from demons. You know, God wants us to be persistent in our prayers for a reason. To show that we're serious about it. That's why God wants us to be, to be persistent. But we see something over here. Now remember, you know, I did share an insight about this a couple of months ago on how does an individual, in a sense, get... Now, a legion is about 6,000, guys, okay? 6,000. How does someone get 6,000 demons inside of them? Right? Now, you're going to stand. This is called Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. That means he wasn't born with demons. He got those demons along the way. I believe that this individual was a believer... The Bible says that when you, when you fall away from God, what happens? Seven more evil demons come inside of you. Seven is, an, is a number of perfection. It doesn't mean probably seven, legit seven will come in. No. That one demon of impurity probably left you. And then when you fall away from God, guess what? It's like, okay, I know the perfect number of demons that need to come with me to enter this individual. And over here, I don't know what demon it was. Probably the demon of nudity. I don't know what it was. Or cutting yourself. It brought in other demons, about 5,000 others. Wow. Wow. This just shows the dangers of falling away from God. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe this guy was a follower. That's what I personally believe. You, you don't just get demons. No, I believe he was a follower. You know, guys, it's, don't, don't fall away from God. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. Yeah. It is not worth it. Nope. How, do you, how do you know who you're going to be if you fall away from God? You take your sin list, you look at it, and multiply it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's who you are without God. Do you know who you are without God? Are you afraid of that person? Because yeah. I am. I am very much afraid of that individual. The only thing that's keeping me sane and in the kingdom of God is the word of God. If you're thinking of falling away, guys, it's not worth it. It is not worth it, guys. Do not do it. It is not worth it at all. It's not worth it for that, that relationship. That job is not worth it. That, that city, that nation is not worth it. Don't fall away from God. We see the dangers over here of falling away from God. Another thing we see over here in verse 11, it says here, A large herd of, of pigs were feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. What do we learn from demons over here? Demons are willing to get sent. Demons are submit, they, they submit to God. Okay, God, want me to go there? I'll go. That's demons. If you want to be a good Christian... You have to be willing to be sent anywhere where God calls you to go. Demons are submissive. They're like, we'll submit. Jesus, send us here. We'll go. Everyone gets sent, guys. Everyone gets sent. 
Satan gets sent, demons get sent, you get sent. <laughs> right? And demons, yet yeah, they submit. <laughs> question is, are you ready to get sent out? That's the question. Are you ready to get sent? Are you willing to get sent today? If you want to be a good Christian, you've got to die to yourself in this area and be willing to be sent out. Now, we see over here that Christ gives him permission. Nothing can happen without Christ's permission. Mm-hmm. And he says the herd, about 2,000 number. Now, of course, we, we, we kind of did the maths about this a couple of months ago. And the maths behind this was that it, it, it resulted to about 400,000 pounds. This just shows how much it costs to, in a sense, free someone. It, it costs a lot to save a soul, guys. Yeah. If you want to be a good Christian, look, look at this. Let's keep, let's keep on reading, actually. Verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were fired up because this guy is finally saved. <laughs> they were afraid. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what the people began, uh, sorry, what had happened to a demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. The people over here were more afraid of what Jesus can do in their life than what Satan can do in their lives. They were more fearful of Jesus than Satan, which is a scary place to be. And it says over here, they pleaded with him to leave the region. What you put your focus in will determine whether you drive Jesus out of your life or not. If you focus on the bad, you'll want to drive Jesus out of your life. If you focus on the good, which is God being saved, you're not going to drive Jesus out of your life. The question I have for you, church, is where's your focus today? Where's your focus? Because we can get sucked into our own lives, guys. Trust me. When we think about all the things we don't have, all the things that we could have had, but we got to look at what we do have and what Christ has done in our lives. This individual was a demon-possessed man with 6,000 demons inside of him, and the people failed to see this miracle, and they focused on something else. And because of their focus, lack of focus on the good, they decided to drive Jesus out of their lives. A good Christian is willing to sacrifice financially, die to their finances. That's a good Christian. You're willing to die to your finances. What if the church decided, hey, you know what? For us to, in a sense, get to the next level spiritually, for us to, in a sense, do great things, what if the church said, you know what? We may have to do another, you know, contribution raise. Who'd be fired up for that? Okay, only about a couple of hands. Only a couple of hands. The people here were too focused on money. Now, of course, this life, life is life. It happens. But a good Christian is someone who's willing to die to their finances. If a job is stopping you from becoming a disciple, you're not a good Christian. Perhaps what needs to happen is for you to be broke and get, your, and get, and get saved. Yeah. You'd rather have that. You'd rather be broke in the kingdom of God. I'm saved. I got my soul. Amen. I'm going to heaven. And some people don't want to go into full-time ministry because of money. Do you know that? Yeah. Some don't. Right? Do you know that I was, a, I was a full-time intern for two years and part-time paid? Two years. And if I was an individual who was like, you know what, I just want money, 
which I would have gone to for IT. But then I said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want money. I want to save souls. I wouldn't have Claire in the church today. I wouldn't have Michael Bukas in the church today. I wouldn't have Ebenezer, Stephen, Josh, some of you guys over here, Wellington, Carmen. That's what dying to money can do for some of you guys. You die to yourself financially, and trust me, God can do something great. A good Christian is willing to die to their finances. You guys still with me, yeah? It says in verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been deemed possessed begged to go with him. I love this. He's always begging. He's begging lost. He's begging saved. <laughs> I love this. He's just, I'm just beg, beg, beg all the time. Jesus didn't let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, Decapolis is 10 cities. This guy went to 10 cities and preached the word of God. That's how grateful he was. How much Jesus had done for you, for him, and all the people were amazed. A good Christian is going to die to their own dream. They're going to die, die to their own dream. Here, his dream was to go with Jesus. <laughs> she said, no, bro. Go home and tell your own people. <laughs> a different dream. That's what a good Christian will do. A good Christian will die to their own dream or their own desire, in a sense. That's what we see a good Christian will do. Let's close it off over here in Luke chapter 4. Closing it off right there. Hang in there, guys, okay, for all the clock watchers. Last and final point, freedom fighters have opposition. Freedom fighters have opposition. Luke chapter 4, it says in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. You see, Jesus knows his Bible. He's like, I, I know where the scripture's at. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. <laughs> the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Jesus says, guys, I am the liberator. I, I am the one who's going to set you free. I'm the one who's going to become your side of blindness. I, I'm the one who's going to give you God's favor. I'm the one. Instead of being joyful that the scriptures are finally being fulfilled, and the word of God is real, and it's happening in front of them, guess what they do? Look at that. Verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Look at that. There's opposition when you're trying to be a freedom fighter. They got up, drove him out of the town, 
and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Oh, boy. Man, Jesus is a boss, man. I like this. You know, the church in the Bible was called a sect. The word sect means separate. Why was it called separate? Because the church in the Bible was different from every other belief that was out there at that time. It was separate from the Sadducees, separate from the Pharisees, separate from Roman emperor worship, all forms of worship. And it said, this group of radical Christians, we're going to give you guys a name, sect. And of course, nowadays, they call us what? A cult. So for those visiting, guess what they call us online? A cult. Why? The word cult, remember, I told you guys this a long time ago. The word cult comes from, in a sense, er, er, in earlier centuries, it just means devoted to a deity. Fully devoted to a deity. So, because we are so devoted to the word of God, and we're so different from every other religion that's out there in Christian faith, the only thing they can say about us is that we are cult. And here, he faces opposition. Jesus wants to set people free, but people are opposing him. I want to let you know, guys, as disciples, when we're trying to set people free, we're going to get a lot of opposition. We can't be surprised when people people write things about us, say bad things about us, and so forth. No, it's part of being a freedom fighter. Part of saving people's souls is that not not everyone's going to be fired up about you. In closing, there's a danger in delaying your salvation. There's a danger. Freedom Day can be today. You can start a Bible study with us and learn what it truly means to be set free from your sins. Be a good Christian today by dying to yourself. Be a good Christian today. And being a freedom fighter produces opposition. I close with one quote. Better to die fighting for freedom than be a prisoner all the days of your life. Let's make today be your freedom day. I love you and to God be all the glory.